You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, everyone, super excited about this episode today. We're getting the opportunity to speak with Liz and Braden. And for context, we actually aired a voicemail that they shared with us back in episode 136R. In case you have forgotten that or are unable to pull it up or are unwilling to pull it up, <laughs> I will be playing that voicemail in its entirety on the Friday Roundup this week just for context. But man, I mean, if you hear that, it's impossible to not be inspired by the level of action that this couple has taken and undergone and the transformation that has had on their financial trajectory. Today, we wanted to go a little bit behind the scenes, find out more about their story. Incredibly excited about this opportunity. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I'm doing quite well. And yeah, the voicemail that Liz sent in, we were just blown away by. We said at the time, we need to get her on. And we followed through. Here she is. And, <laughs> and here's her husband, Braden. And the story is so much more than just that voicemail. The voicemail cataloged how they went from regular people to essentially five superheroes. But the backstory is what I am just incredibly excited to dive into. So with that, Liz and Braden, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're excited to be here. All right. Well, let's go and hop into this, Liz. I want to start with your story. One of the things that really stood out to me as we were finding out more was that your childhood, you have a, a single mom and as a family, you you struggled financially. And to see the money lessons that you brought into your own life are incredible. But I think for contrast, it'd be really important to talk about you know your backstory, your money story growing up as a child. Mm -hmm. Definitely. My parents were divorced when I was 12 and I did. I watched my family struggle financially as we were growing up. I helped my mom with finances and budgeting from a very young age, but we had accumulated some debt and we paid that off together over a series of years and felt like that was a huge accomplishment. That's kind of where my exposure to finances began. I don't remember learning much about savings or budgeting or anything like that when I was when I was younger. So started to learn how to budget with my mom and that's what started our path to FI. So Liz, talk me through what this actually looks like. You were learning it sounds like alongside your mom. How do you guys navigate this? You are, I don't know at, at this point, are you 12? Are you 14? You know, where you are exactly, but what did you do to learn how to budget when it was really necessary now? And yeah. there's no safety net. This was the time where we didn't do as much with computers. We were literally budgeting pen and paper with a notebook every single week. We were going through and looking at the bills that we would need to pay for each month and how we would fund that. And then paying the bills accordingly. You know, it was one step at a time and we just had to learn a little bit by trial and error. There were some months that we overdrafted. There were months that were harder than others because my mom was also making variable income because she was an insurance agent. I'd like to maybe do a little compare and contrast here, Brayden, from your perspective, you know, your childhood, you're the same age. So this is all kind of happening in parallel. Like what was your money experience growing up? Yeah, I think it was quite a bit different than Liz's experience. I grew up in a pretty well off home, if you will. Uh, my my dad is a builder. He makes good money. 
we had a very beautiful home and they still live there. I just kind of grew up a very privileged life. I didn't have to worry about money. I did get a job when I turned 16, but it was more because my, my parents are very, very interested in teaching us how to work. They didn't necessarily teach us a ton about budgeting and things like that, but we did learn how to work when, while growing up. So uh, even before I got a job at 16, my dad would have me work around the house, things like that. And it was a thing that was really instilled into us as kids. But I didn't really have to worry about money up until I started going to college and moving out of the house. I would say that is one thing that both of us are super grateful for is we were taught to work hard at a really young age. I actually remember growing up, I would work the summers with my grandpa and he paid me $3 an hour. We were living on a fruit farm with him. He instilled the value of hard work in me. And I learned, especially as I've gone into my career, I learned that I am never above any any task and we work as a team and we work together. And that was also part of, you know, budgeting and working together as a family on our financial goals. So that was a huge part of our childhood and growing up. So that's interesting. Instilling hard work. I, I absolutely love this. And it, it's something that I think about with my own daughters. I'm curious, I believe you have two sons, is it? Yep. Yes. So how do you plan on instilling this concept of hard work in them? When I started I call it working from home, but it's really just uh, being a stay-at-home parent, if you will. Uh, when I started just a few months ago, staying home with the boys, I thought about this. I started having David, our three-year-old, empty just the forks, knives, and spoons from the dishwasher. And at first, he was throwing them all over the place and doing all that stuff. But now he can pretty uh, reliably empty the empty the dishwasher of the forks, knives, and spoons. And I paid him I started off paying him 25 cents per day, but then I started thinking, how can I encourage him to save 50% of his income? So I, I upped his income pretty quickly to 50 cents per day, <laughs> and gave, him, gave him two quarters and said, okay, here's a jar for savings and here's a jar for fun money or spend money. And he, get to, he got to put one quarter in each. Took him all summer. He didn't get a quarter, every two quarters every day, but he took him all summer, but he finally earned $3, which I told him if he earned $3, he could buy his first toy on his own. So he's pretty <laughs> excited about that. So I think it's just kind of a fun little way that I've started with getting him kind of excited about work and helping him to start to set goals. Our, our little one is only 15 months now, so he's a little bit too small, but I'll probably start the same thing in the next 10 to 12 months once he's able to start to kind of connect concepts and things like that. My co-host here I, is so excited about your story that he's hopping right to the next generation. I'm still trying to figure out your money lessons. <laughs> so I want to reel it all the way back. <laughs> and actually, I want to talk about you guys. I believe you met in high school. I'm curious, as you guys are starting to form a relationship and you're working together, I believe what's interesting about your story is you are helping each other with college scholarships. And to me, because this is something that's always been elusive to me, it's something that I think is incredibly high value for the community. Liz, I'd love to bring you in, like in your voicemail, you basically said, I crushed the scholarship game. The level of confidence that you brought with that statement told me that we need to spend some time here. <laughs> Definitely, I was super blessed. I had over $100,000 in scholarships. I actually had a friend that was the million dollar scholar that won million dollars in scholarships. So you can go a bit further than I went, but- I had my mom helping me with scholarship essays every single day as pretty much a part-time job, or we were probably spending 20 to 30 hours a week working on scholarships my senior year of high school, but it paid off and it was well worth the payoff. I probably received, oh man, I remember I had the metrics. I don't remember anymore, but I had, a, I received about 20% of the scholarships that I actually applied for. I was applying for everything and that's what allowed me to get that hundred thousand in scholarships. And I honestly think it was just the diligence of researching and finding all the opportunities, looking at the school's bulletin, 
having conversations and making sure I was tapping into every single opportunity out there. So there's so much here. <laughs> uh, there's multiple questions. One is to drop a little quote here. It's often used. You're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, something that we referenced from Jim Rohn. One, it's very interesting to me that someone in your wheelhouse, one of your friends was a million dollar scholarship applicant winner. That that That's crazy. But for the sake of anchoring ourselves to this competition, like you knew that was possible and you did your version of it, which is incredible. And then also Brayden, was there spillover effect from her pursuing this in your own pursuit of college? Absolutely. So I was actually a, a grade younger than her in high school. She, I met her when she was in the heat of all this uh, applying for scholarships. She was a senior, I was a junior. And basically I was like, I haven't even thought about college. It's not even something that's on my radar, even though I'd be going when less than a year, right? So we met uh, just at the end of uh, my junior year, year of high school. From that point on, she basically coached me through the process. So my only, I only really focused on scholarships and qualifying for scholarships my senior year. But I joined about six or seven different clubs. I asked if there were any leadership responsibilities in the clubs that I could uh, take. I joined as the Youth City Council Mayor of my city. Just did tons of different service opportunities and things like that. I also started looking at the very beginning of my senior year for different scholarships. So I applied to several of the same scholarships that Liz applied for. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't get uh, nearly as much as Sarah, we'll just say it that way. But I was able to get one full tuition scholarship to the university that I really wanted to go through, through a state-sponsored scholarship program called Sterling Scholar. So uh, it was really just a cool experience to see me go from not really thinking about school all of a sudden to having a full tuition scholarship by the end of my senior year. And it was really thanks to the encouragement that Liz gave me and kind of the coaching that she gave me as well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. And Jonathan, I want to quickly say one thing that we really did for him is played to his strengths. So when I met him, he loved cooking and he was about to start a culinary arts program at the local technology college. So we played to that strength and the Sterling Scholar program that he ultimately won had certain categories. And so he applied for the, what was it? Family Consumer Sciences, or it was the, the, the portion of that that I applied for was the culinary arts section. So we played to his strengths. You know, that's how he got a full ride scholarship was through that one scholarship. So it doesn't have to be the culmination of dozens of scholarships. It can be just one that you really focus on. And that's what we did for him because he hadn't thought about it and he didn't have necessarily the extracurriculars or the need based background for some of the scholarships that I applied to. I'm like so torn, Brad, should we just spend all of our time here or should we invite Liz back to do this on a Friday where we create the framework oh, for this? Man. Like I'm truly conflicted here. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, play to your strengths. We could talk an hour just on that alone because you signed up for all these extracurriculars. I think it still came down to your passion. Yep, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So essays and colleges, they can tell when you're just signing up for things just to pad a resume. But mm -hmm. when it's something you're actually passionate about, that shines through. So play to your strengths. That's yeah. that's a wonderful statement. I do want to spend more time here. I think <laughs> I think we should Go I think we it. should follow up a couple of things. All right. So there's two people that I have in mind. One is Brayden, who is like not even thinking about school and then realizing, wow, have I waited too long? Is this even possible? What could I possibly do that will have an impact? And somehow for you to be able to bring a full scholarship out of this is incredible, but yet not surprising with Liz in your corner, like just saying, hey, here's what you do. But then two, Liz, how did you create this framework for yourself? I mean, you're kind of trailblazing this thing, right? So what did it look like for you to figure out what the 80-20 was and focus your efforts on that? 
we made it a part-time job to apply for scholarships. So I really did just blanket everything. And there were so many scholarships I didn't get that honestly, I felt confident I would receive. One thing I want to come back to Jonathan is one thing that played such a powerful role in my scholarships is visualizing it. I thought every day, every scholarship I applied to, I thought, this is it. I'm going to get it. This is mine. And I remember getting a phone call for my Horatio Alger scholarship, which is a needs-based scholarship out of Washington, DC. And they called me to tell me that I won their $20,000 scholarship. And I don't mean this to brag, but I wasn't surprised because I knew I was going to get it. It was such a cool experience, but it was also super exciting. I got to go to DC. I was able to connect with so many incredible people. And so the scholarship game, it was blanketing everything. I will say with essays, it's so important to have a story. I definitely told my story in those essays. My mom helped me tell my story and spin it the right way for whatever scholarship it was. I made sure that a lot of my extracurriculars somehow connected to what I wanted to do in the future. So I created kind of a theme through my experience. And that was, I feel like, really powerful as a storyteller to the judges that were reviewing the scholarship applications. You know, that's funny. When I hear you say, this is it, this is mine, it reminds me of my wife, Laura, actually, whenever she plays a board game. She thinks, I have seen that look in her <laughs> eyes and she, I, I accept my doom. <laughs> <laughs> she genuinely believes she's going to win 100% of her board games every single time she plays on any table in the world. So it just cracked me up. <laughs> but I'm curious, how did you go about researching these scholarships and researching these schools? You know, like Jonathan asked the prior question, you're kind of trailblazing this with your mom. How did you guys get started with this? That's what I'm curious about, that inception point of, okay, college is coming up. What do we do now? How did you take those steps? And how did you research these scholarships? In researching scholarships, I first started with my school bulletin. My school produced a bulletin on a monthly basis, I believe it was, with all of the scholarships that they were aware of. So I started with that, looked at anything that I was eligible for, and automatically applied for it. I did some other web research as well. Unfortunately, when I was applying for scholarships, there wasn't cool resources like FastWeb that we have today, but you can still find a lot out there on the internet. In terms of researching schools, I was very intentional about where I applied. I did apply for eight to 10 schools. And initially I was thinking I wanted to go Ivy League. But as I looked back at my family situation and where I had come from and all the scholarships I was receiving, I knew that it would go a lot further if I chose a lower tuition school. And so I still went to a really great university, the University of Utah, but my tuition was a very small fraction of what it would have been had I gone to an Ivy League school. And so I also learned to start doing some research. This was a little bit at the last minute, so this is something to jump on earlier. But I learned to research schools that would refund any extra money that you receive towards tuition. So for example, I would get all of my scholarships. They would go directly to the school and be applied to my account. And then anything after my tuition was paid would be refunded to me directly. I actually learned in my research that over half of the schools I had applied to would not allow me to refund my tuition. And so I chose intentionally based on that alone. So that was one huge factor for me in deciding my schools. This is fantastic. And let me ask you a question. If we were to put this episode out into the universe and collect feedback from our audience, things they're struggling with, scholarship questions, would you like to join us for a second episode, maybe a Friday roundup where we take 30 to 40 minutes of these types of questions that we've curated and we'll just tackle them one by one? Of course, I would be more than happy to. 
All right, so clearly you're as optimized as can be when it comes to college, right? You guys locked this down in no small part to Liz, obviously. So you're coming out with no student loan debt, as I understand it. At this point, where does life take you? You're 22, 23 years old. I believe you got married shortly thereafter. What path do you take at that point? What eventually gets you to a point where you are today down this path to fight? Like what awakening was there? This was a really pivotal moment in my life. As I graduated college, I was actually in my early 20s because I had finished my associate's degree in high school, so graduated by the time I was 20, and spent a year traveling abroad. When I was living in India for a number of months, I got really caught up in this mindset of materialism. I had plenty of money, things were really cheap, and I got really excited about buying anything and everything. I hit a very pivotal moment when I was coming home from the airport with three full suitcases and was paying ridiculous amounts of fees in baggage. And I realized that I didn't need anything in those suitcases. That led me to create the theme for my next year, which was simplify. And so this was a moment where I started to really think about how I was spending my money. As I returned from India, I actually, for the first time in my life, me personally had a little bit of consumer debt. And it wasn't much. It was just a few hundred dollars or so. But knowing that I didn't have the money in my checking account to pay it off, I knew that I had to change what I was doing. And funnily enough, I hadn't continued some of the habits I'd set up with my mom about budgeting. And so I had to figure out how to budget myself now. And this was also at a time as I was starting to use more technology. I moved from you know my day planner to Google Calendar. This was a time where I started to want to budget on the computer. At first I was trying to do it in Excel and then found an awesome program that worked for me online and spent hours just looking at my budget and figuring out how to do zero-based budgeting. That started leading me to make wiser financial decisions. So that was a really pivotal moment for me, I would say. At this time, Brayden was actually on an LDS service mission. And so when he returned home was when we got married and thus began our journey, you know, budgeting and thinking about what we wanted our financial future to look like. Braden, when you came back, what do those conversations look like about your financial future at that point? So it sounds like Liz had spent all this time, she's this ultra optimizer, she's got the spreadsheets down. Talk me through the conversations that you guys had to come together as a team. That's a great question because I actually grew up just not thinking about money. Kind of a funny story. One time my mom just said, make me dinner. And I went to the store with her credit card. And I think I spent over a hundred dollars for that one meal. You know, it's like <laughs> for my, my parents, it was just like, you spend what you want to spend. Right. And then on my service mission in, in El Salvador is where I was. I was there for two years and I really was able to get immersed in the culture. There was a lot of poverty down there. I was able to really see what it looks like to live kind of an, a different life. And I actually came back to the United States with a much more intentional mindset. I remember going to a phone store to buy a phone a few days after I got home. And it was just so overwhelming to me because I was just absolutely not used to owning objects, right? It's You live a very simple life as a missionary for the LDS church, and you, you're really able to kind of ground yourself, right? And so I came back, the world has kind of changed on me, right? And I have to now immerse myself back into the society. And Liz and I would talk a lot about budgeting and, and figuring out how to set up our lives because we got married a few months after I got back. I really latched on to this concept of budgeting and managing our finances in the right way because it, it helped me to kind of ground myself and feel like I was doing what was best for our family. 
the pivotal moment here was when we started talking marriage and we were looking at wedding rings and Brayden had some money and savings from some inheritance from his grandfather's passing. And he was planning to use it for a wedding ring. And I thought, well, we could use a few thousand dollars of that for a wedding ring, but why do we need to? And I said, what does that symbolize? And so we agreed to get a less expensive wedding ring and spent less than $300 on our wedding ring. And we still have it and use it to this day. And decided that it was more important to us to have a financially stable future and to focus on the things that mattered to us. That really is incredible. I mean, that inflection point right there, that's you two agreeing on what it is that you value. And and it's, you know, every single time I hear a radio commercial for a diamond company, it's just like, I just want (laughs) to play it as a fake advertisement on the show, because in contrast, it's crazy how much Mm -hmm. it's hyped up to tell you, this is what you're worth. This is what you're valued in this, in this Mm -hmm. stone. Like it's, It's 90 years of marketing. Anyway, crazy sidebar. But what I wanted to say is the other thing here is that both of you somehow managed to avoid complacency, that comfortable complacency. Braden, I think I can see of the two stories, you were probably more susceptible to it with that background of privilege that you described where the money was just there. And because it's comfortable, you never challenge the lukewarm water, whether or not that's good or not. It just is. And for so many people, you look up after 20, 30, 40, 50 years of it and you realize again, you feel like it's too late to even make that change because you've just been comfortable. The fact that for you, this external experience, this mission trip that you went on for you was able to help anchor yourself to an intentional life based on choice. That's pretty incredible. I want to actually ask you at what point it went from kind of standard, we're going to be okay. We have a solid financial plan to overdrive on your finances and reclaiming decades of your life because many people will become financially responsible but never make it to, you know, going on the offense to reclaim decades. Like that for me is a very interesting inflection point for you guys. I'd love to hear more about that. Definitely. So I would like to first lay the groundwork of the first few years of marriage. When we were first married, we were sticking to a budget. We didn't have any debt. This is actually the time where we started to learn to travel hack and we started taking advantage of the chase gauntlet, as you guys call it. (laughs) And that was pivotal for us because I really wanted to continue traveling. I loved travel, but I didn't want to spend our hard-earned dollars on it. So we figured that piece out pretty quickly, mostly with the points guy at the time. But as we earned more money, and got ingrained in our careers, we had lifestyle inflation. We started spending all the extra money and we wouldn't know where it went. It was just the little things here and there, right? The extra Amazon purchases and all of that. And so we lost some of that intentionality. And then when we bought our first home a few years into marriage, we buckled down and got more specific about our budget again. But then, you know, we got a little bit lazy here and there. And then we found the Choose a Fied podcast. I came across Chooseify on Facebook. At the time, I wasn't into podcasts, so I just thought, oh, well, I'll learn what I can from the Facebook group, but you know, I'll listen to podcasts sometime in the future, subscribed. And then a friend introduced me to AirPods earlier this year, and I got hooked on podcasts. And I finally decided to start listening to Chooseify, and I binge listened to every single episode, which was 260 plus at the time in a matter of a month. And I just <laughs> You one, don't do one, anything halfway. <laughs> no, of course not, right? I go I go full speed all the way. It was funny cuz at the time that I found the podcast and was listening to all of this, I kept ke- coming to Braden with all of these ideas. I thought she was crazy. Was <laughs> <laughs> My first idea was, well, we need to sell our house and rent a one-bedroom apartment <laughs> and we need to live really oh simply. And he thought 
Uh, absolutely not. That's not going to happen, right? We're happy. First, and then, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I had all these crazy ideas, right? I was like, let's live off of ramen noodles and we can only spend $100 a month on groceries, right? Just crazy ideas. And he said- I do not okay. remember that episode. <laughs> I want to say I do not remember that episode. <laughs> I, no, you guys didn't, you guys didn't say that, but I was just coming up with all these crazy ideas for how to trim our budget, right? Yep. But I think the pinnacle was, so it was about March this year that- Brayden had started listening to the Chooseify podcast. He said, okay, let me check this out, see what this is all about. He was listening to it. He was catching on to the ideas. One day we were talking about his career and he wasn't feeling very happy at his current employer and was ready to make some kind of transition. And I, I just threw out the idea that he could stay home. And he said, there's no way that's not possible. Right. And I said, no, it actually is. We can totally make this happen, especially if we live more by the principles and pillars of Phi. So we sat down and looked at the budget and it was more than doable. That was a real turning point for us where after that, everything just dominoed. We just applied one change after another and totally optimized our life. That is amazing. There's almost too much there to respond to. First, <laughs> it, it's hilarious that I actually use a caricature when I get a question of how do you get your spouse on board? And it's don't walk up to them and say, hey, I read these blogs or listen to this podcast. Let's eat ramen noodles, sell our car and sell our house. So thank you for putting a face to that list. I appreciate it. It was basically exactly that. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. I got to go back and listen to the archives. I feel like I, feel, I don't remember saying that. That's so, so funny. Not all of that came from you guys, right? But uh, it was life-changing for me. I was finally learning all of this information that we had searched so hard to find. And that was a crazy thing to me. We had paid for financial advisors. I had a free financial advisor through work even that we were working with. We had talked to family members that worked at other you know, investment banks. We had had all of these conversations yet somehow couldn't quite figure out how to optimize our life, right? We were, we were fine. We weren't in debt aside from our mortgage. You know, we were on the right path. We could retire at 65, right? But we were kind of stuck in this grind and we didn't want to keep doing what we were doing yet didn't know how to do it any differently until we found Choose FI. Wow. Brayden, I, I really do want to drill down into this. So Liz comes to you with all these wacky ideas. You thought she was a little crazy, which is understandable in this instance. How did it move from there? Many people would just dismiss it, but obviously you started listening to the podcast. Did Liz change her tactics at all? Did you just kind of finally wear down and say, all right, I'll listen to this? Like, talk me through your evolution here. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of interesting. So she did approach me with these wacky statements that I was just super turned off by, if you will. But she did convince me to just start listening to the podcast. I listened through the travel hacking episode. I think it's episode nine. And I thought, I know all this stuff, like, whatever, you know, like, I just thought of myself, I guess, all high and mighty or whatever it may be. And I stopped listening at that point uh, for about a month. And so maybe it was the beginning of April at this point, right after I'd made the decision to stop working uh, and to stay home. And I thought, you know, our lives are going to be changing quite a bit. I guess I was kind of my, my mindset was changing. I was a little bit happier knowing that there was kind of a, a different path that we'd be taking that I wouldn't have to be in the same grind every day. But then one day Liz came to me and just I don't know how to describe it, but kind of almost disappointed and just saying, I'm so passionate about this. Why aren't you? I thought, well, why aren't I? Like, I, And I, I respect Liz. I love Liz. And I have a desire to be on the same page as her in every aspect of our lives. And so I thought, okay, this is extremely important to her. Out of uh, courtesy to her, I will continue to listen to this podcast to see if I can learn anything. I kind of humbled myself a little bit. 
I started listening more and more. And then, you know, there's just a couple episodes that just really hit home with me. I mean, I didn't binge listen to every episode like she did in, uh, you know, just like just a month's time. But I, I may be halfway through your episodes right now. And I listen to them two or three times a week to kind of hopefully by the end of the year, I'll be caught up. But you guys produce a lot of content. So. <laughs> we do produce a lot of content. We're producing content right now. Thank you for your help yeah. with that. Uh, I actually want to I want to go a little bit further. So for you. What were the small actions that you were, what was it that was resonating with? Cause I totally get that. Like travel rewards, if you've never heard about it before, it will change your world and you should listen to the episode. But if you've already got it locked down and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I know this, this is cool for you. What was it that made you open up your eyes to like this more optimized path, this more intentional yeah. path? Cause you guys were already doing okay. Clearly, no matter what you're going to be okay. Liz has some things on autopilot. You've got a budget in place. Like things are working now. What made you receptive to figuring out how you could dial it up? I think the episode that really first hit me and just kind of made me think, I don't know anything about personal finance was the episode of Go Curry Cracker. It's episode 14, 13, 13, 14. You guys are close. Episode 18. And 18? the fact that okay. I know that on the fly says <laughs> a lot about how much time I spent with those early episodes. <laughs> Anyway, so I, I listened to episode 18 with Go Curry Cracker and just his breakdown on how to harvest uh, long-term capital gains was just something I'd never heard of before. And I've read books on investing. I've read books on you know travel hacking. I've read tons of different articles. I thought I knew a lot, but I had never heard about this before. And it blew my mind that it's just you can search it on the IRS website and it's right there. It's just in plain sight, right? At that point, I realized there are so many different investing methodologies and different hacks, different ways to travel hack, different things that you can do to really optimize your life. And it's just like Liz said earlier, just streamlining and optimizing our life to the nth degree, right? Just making our lives as streamlined as possible. And I realized in that episode that, wow, I have a lot to learn. And this podcast is a really great place to start in, in my learning journey. And I listen to episodes now and Liz has already listened to all the episodes, but I listen to something I'm like, Liz, why haven't we done this? And Liz is like, oh, I, I might have just missed it or I, 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 you know, have we skipped over it? Like the donor advised funds and things like that, that I, I've kind of been really excited to start and things like that. So there's just so many different hacks. And like I said, it was that one episode that really hit home to me and helped me to, you know, get the fire, if you will. You know, when, I, when we're talking to you guys, I see a team, right? And I see a team that's having fun with this. Like personal finance is no longer just academia. It's no longer digging through the IRS tax code. It's something that as a team, we can make these small choices and we get those wins now, not only because we did this together, but because our lives are forever in a better place. And I feel like to have the opportunity to interact with each other at that level, designing your future. Now that's a privilege. That's an incredible privilege right there. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And one of the coolest things with having Braden on board has been that as he's listening to the episodes, we're picking up more and more and there's always going to be more to learn, which is what really gets us excited, right? It lights the fire for us. All right, guys. So you said there's always going to be more to learn, but that hasn't stopped you from taking action. And I, it's just so commendable. It's amazing what you have done in just such a short period of time. And in your voicemail, you said we're, quote, happier than ever. And I, I just love to hear that aspect of it, right? We can talk about the optimizations, you know, raising your savings rate from 10 to 40%. But what I really want to hear about is what does this life look like? As Jonathan said, you're a team, you're a family of four. What does this look like for you? I think for both of us, what has really changed it is thinking about what brings us value. 
Neither of us are naturally very frugal. We're not naturally savers. So we're more the reluctant frugalist category that you guys always talk about. So this was a really big mental shift for us to think about how to design our future and how to only spend money on the things that bring us value. We will be in the car and be talking about maybe going to grab some food, going out to eat with our kids because we don't want to make dinner. And we say, actually, it doesn't sound fun to sit in a restaurant or even a fast casual restaurant with two little boys. Let's go home and throw the Trader Joe's chicken in the oven and make a quick meal. There's all kinds of options there. But thinking about what really brings us value, not clicking buy now on Amazon for something that we don't really need. And so for us, it's, I love what Paula Plan always says. She says you can afford anything, but not everything. And that's what we live by now. And so I feel like it's just given us so much peace of mind, knowing exactly where we're going. We know our numbers. We have a clear sense for the direction we're headed and what our future looks like. And we also know how to deal with the hardships that might come up, right? But we have a plan in place. And that's what has changed the game for us. I, I want to actually talk about that. You know your numbers. You're happier than ever. You're you're not at financial independence, but you're on the path. You've got a game plan. And Brad alluded to this earlier. And, and Brayden, you were talking about it. Your decision to step away from your career. I'd actually like to talk about that more. So you're a stay-at-home dad right now. What gave you the confidence to do that? What was the internal struggle or decision that you had to work through in order to make that possible, to make that leap? I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it was one night we were talking and she just mentioned, let's just have you stay home with the boys. It's something that I've always wanted to do, uh, but I didn't feel confident enough because I didn't feel like financially it would make sense. Two incomes is better than one. That's what people think, right? After running the numbers and thinking through it with a fine mindset, we were actually able to break down her salary to the point that our savings rate is actually higher now than it was before I quit, which is just crazy to me to think that we have one less income, but we're mm -hmm. saving more dollar per dollar now than we were before. And all of that is due to intentionality and optimizing our budget and things like that. But also, I mean, you, you think about it, a lot of my salary was going to daycare. It was going to the expenses of work and things like that. So cutting all that out, we're able to save quite a bit more now than we were before. But there was still some personal struggles for me as well. I think of it as like, a, you shouldn't quit working because it's not a professional thing to do. People will look down at you or something like that. But it's just really been an awesome experience to step aside from the corporate world, if you will, and really think about what matters to me, spending time with my boys, thinking through you know what I'm passionate about. We, we go on hikes on, on a weekly basis. We go to the park all the time and just spend time together. And it's just really great. Obviously, there's some really difficult days too, right? And that was part of what I, I thought of beforehand was, do I really want to spend a full day every day with crazy little boys? And <laughs> some days are tough, but it's quite an amazing experience, to be honest. Yeah. It all comes down to what we value, right? And we value family and we value these experiences with our kids while they're young. And so it was a no-brainer decision to us once we knew our numbers and we felt confident in our decision. Yeah, it's a pretty easy sell to say we value our family. But Brayden, you talked earlier about how hard work was such an essential aspect of your family growing mm -hmm. up. And I'm curious, what type of conversations did you have with your parents about this when it came time to make this decision? What did that look like? So funnily enough, my mom has always told me I should be a stay-at-home dad. She thinks that's just <laughs> the coolest thing ever. So it wasn't too tough of a conversation to have, but I think just framing it differently, I haven't stopped working as hard as I was before. In fact, I feel like I work harder. Taking care of boys is no easy work. So that's part of it. But then also I've, I've actually wanted to start a side hustle. It's something that I didn't have time for when I was at my past job. 
now that I'm taking care of the boys, I have a little bit of extra time, not a ton, uh, you know, a few minutes here and there while they're napping. And then I think I also have a lot more excitement to work on something after the kids go to bed at night as well. So, you know, I pulled together a new business that's called $2 Eats. Uh, I, love that. A, I love that name, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's inspired by Chooseify, right? Some of the earlier episodes, you guys talk a lot about $2 per person per meal. I'm basically building a website with recipes around that idea. So it's a passion project. It's something that's exciting to me, but I'm not putting my main responsibilities of being a stay-at-home dad to the side. That's something that truly is a side hustle, and that's something that just really kept me excited and has kept that hard work mentality alive to me. I'd like to, I want to find out a little bit more about $2 Eats in just a second here. But before I do that, I want to go back to you guys, when you're both working or saving 10%, now you're a stay-at-home parent saving 40%. I want to talk a little bit about how you were able to do so much more while simultaneously one of you leaving the workforce, just because I know that there are parents, both dads and moms, mm-hmm. there are individuals out there that are in a similar place. I would love to do this, but we can't afford to walk away. And if there's something there that's replicable, either the mindset shift or really at a practical level, the line items on the budget that made you feel confident mm-hmm. with this choice, I think it's probably worthwhile to just explore that at a macro level so people can take that back to their mm-hmm. own lives, their own budgets and start to see whether or not those numbers make sense. Definitely. So I think it first started with the conversations about your home ownership, right? And house hacking. So I mentioned earlier that I had some radical ideas about selling our home and living in a one bedroom apartment, which (laughs) we decided as we thought more about it and Braden helped me to think more realistically that it didn't make sense for our family. But we started thinking about how we were using our home and the space in our home. And Big Earn actually has some ideas on his website about how much money you should be spending per person in the home. And so we kind of started to follow some of those ideas. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but basically just making sure we're maximizing the use of the space in our home. So because we have a family, Airbnb didn't make sense. We went back and forth on the argument of put extra money towards principal and pay down your mortgage faster or increase cash flow. And ultimately we're young enough that we decided to increase cash flow. So we did end up refinancing our home into a much lower interest rate. It doesn't always make sense, but the math really made sense for us because it substantially reduced our monthly payment and increased our cash flow that we could then increase into our investment accounts or we could put into side hustles or things like that. So homeownership was a big one to start. Another big one is cars, right? So we had two cars. When we were first married, we only had one car. And we immediately knew if Braden was staying home, we didn't need two cars. I'm at work 10 hours a day. Do I really need a car sitting there in a parking lot for that long? We sold our second car. We now have a minivan for our one family car and I ride my bike to work. I take public transit here and there, especially as it's getting cold outside, but I take public transit and ride my bike and we just make do with one car and it saves us a lot of money on the maintenance and the insurance and all of that. Our cars were paid off, so that wasn't an issue, but again, that was additional cash flow that we could throw into investments. So those are two of the big things I can keep going. There's a number of things that we've done, right? So we've paid off our cell phones and created a prepaid plan to save money on our phones. We have obviously done a lot to minimize our grocery bill. We changed some stuff up with our life insurance. We used to have an indexed universal life policy and now have a term life policy because that makes more sense with having more control of our investments and a number of other things. So. Et cetera, et cetera. No, no, et cetera, et cetera. It's great, yada, yada. Uh, no, but, it, but also, pair, when you pair that with not paying daycare, I mean, daycare, what were you budgeting for that when you were both working? 
So we were optimized there as well. We were in a pretty inexpensive daycare. We decided not to go with one of the fancy daycares that sends you pictures during the day and to choose a you know, more low key daycare that took great care of our kids for about 600 a month each. So we were paying about 1200 a month in daycare. So, I mean, the reality is Jonathan number wise, we still had quite a bit of extra income for my husband's job. The funny thing is, like we said, we've increased our savings rate substantially. And so a lot of our extra money is now going to tax advantaged accounts, maxing out 401ks, IRAs, HSAs, and then going into our taxable brokerage account. So Daycare actually wasn't that expensive in comparison to his income, but we just, we know where our money is going now. You're right. I mean, I feel like there's no upper limit on what some people can pay for daycare. So I was just curious if that was it. Let's, let's, if you don't mind, I want to spend a few minutes talking about $2 eats and, and for reference for audience, Brad many times has referenced you and Laura. Yeah. We kind of anchor ourselves to $2 per person per meal. And I think when people hear that at first, they say, how is that possible? Are you eating rice and beans or pasta all the time? And what we've tried to explain, and I, I know in our Choose of I Vault, Laura is up to, I think, 27 recipes now of different recipes that we love that are part of our mythical top 50 list. And what's cool is that you guys started this website. And it's a beautiful site, by the way. It's $2eats.com. Oh, it's great. And just started that after hearing about this concept on Choose of I. I love it. And obviously, like we mentioned before, Braden, culinary arts has been your passion for your life. And it's so cool that you have the time, energy, and space to do this now. This is amazing. Right? I'm on the site right now. This is awesome. So Brayden, I just made a recipe this past week. I think will fit in this. It's one I found on the internet. It's called Instapot Crack Chicken. Can't go wrong there. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, I'm pretty sure I'm just mentally doing the calculation. I'm pretty sure that is also going to fall under this, but we will have $2 Eats linked up in the show notes for this episode. I have long thought that... I wanted to put more focus on this idea. We talk about it in passing and to be able to go and get the price per serving, there's certain ingredients that when you're talking about $2 per person per meal, you're probably not going to use those, but that's not necessarily limiting as long as you're aware of what you can use. And this is incredible what's on this site. So thanks for putting this together. And I think this is going to do really well. So this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about it. And it's taken a long time to think through the concept and kind of what it is, but in all reality, it's, not that hard to eat for about $2 per person per meal. Breakfast is usually extremely cheap. You can eat oatmeal or eggs and it's just, you know, cents. And then you can have extremely delicious and kind of gourmet food, if you will, for not very expensive. For instance, one of the recipes I, uh, I'm going to be posting on the, on the website soon, you can buy it. You can actually buy it at Cheesecake Factory. I think the price is $22 for one serving. And you can make it for about two fifty per serving at home. So you know it's just crazy <laughs> to see the the difference in costs, and it really just helps you to realize that by going out to eat, you're not necessarily getting better food, but you are spending a lot more. So oh it's my goodness, fun. I'm really excited to follow you guys, and also for our audience to be able to leave you some feedback on this. I think this is really cool. Jonathan, I think the thing that's been really cool about it is it's kind of gamified groceries for us. Oh, like yeah. it's made it so fun to, you know, look at the grocery bill every week and like calculate out what the costs are for some of the meals. Like it's become a game for us, which is again, part of what makes us happy and makes life fun. The mental reframe here that's so critical about $2 per person per meal is it moves you to cost of consumption rather than total grocery bill package or anything else. Cause that's kind of fungible. Some months you might spend more, but you have these in bulk and you're spending it less. You want to know like, but if you can anchor yourself to cost per meal or cost per person per meal, 
that over time is much more predictable. And having that as an anchor, regardless of let's say it's $3 a person or $4 a person occasionally, Mm -hmm. just having that anchor of $2 per person that's freedom right there because you know over time it's going to average out and you are going to be reclaiming hundreds of dollars a month over what it is if you're just not tracking it. If you go and, oh, well, why not? Well, it's easier. We'll go to Cheesecake Factory. It's already made $22 a person. No big deal. It tastes great. Well, yeah, but you don't get a choice. You're playing the game either way. Yep. But if you don't know the rules, you're probably not going to win. Exactly. (laughs) All right. This has been a treat, a pleasure. On most shows, that would be the end of the episode. But Liz, Braden, on this show, Brad and I would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite blog, podcast, or book of all time? I would say Choose FI. Hands down, it has changed my life forever. Uh, but I'm also loving bigger pockets. So I'm starting to kind of dabble in real estate. Actually, our first real estate investment is going to be solar panels. So we're kind of thinking that as a as a real estate investment. So bigger pockets is a lot of fun. Nice. All right. Uh, did you want to double down on that, Braden? I'm going to keep going. No. Cool. See, my, my answer is choose a five. So if you want to do that, you can. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Question number two, an inflection point in your life that was especially memorable or meaningful. I think we covered it for me, right? It's the moment where I started to budget. It's the moment where I started to value simplification and having more control over my time and money. When I came back from my time in India, I just really learned how to simplify and I learned how to use my time and my money in a way that it went towards things that I value. I think when I lived abroad in El Salvador, being able to see the lives of different people and really understand that there's more to this world than just me. There's so many different cultures. There's so many different aspects to life that if you don't get out there and and see it, you can't really understand it. So that really helped me to kind of ground myself and think a little bit quite quite differently. We'll just say it that way. And then the second, I mean, I'm just going to say it. It was when I started listening to Choose FI and really thinking that I have stuff to learn. It's it was a big point for me as well. Thank you. That is incredible. All right. Question number three, your favorite life hack. We have so many. I think actually... <laughs> you have to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I think, man, I really have to pick one? You can have, okay. two. You can have two. You have maybe. two. You cannot have 10. <laughs> so so I, think, I think one of my favorite life hacks is free yoga on YouTube with Yoga with Adrian. Yoga oh. has just changed my life and helped to give me perspective and to slow down and enjoy the moment. And then I would say my second one is actually probably home birth. That for me, I, we saved so much money and... That was just such a transformative experience for me. Awesome. And then for me, I think maybe because I'm immersed in it all day, every day with kids, but cloth diapering, actually. We use cloth diapers and it's, and, you know, this is even before we got introduced to the concept of five, but we've saved, I don't even know how many, hundred, hundreds of dollars, maybe even to the thousands, right? Uh, we, we hardly spent any money on diapers and we only spent three or $400 to get started with cloth diapers and it's been great. Awesome, guys. All right. Question number four, the biggest financial mistake you've made. This is super silly, but one of our biggest financial mistakes is we were driving 
an hour north of where we live to go skiing. And we realized that we forgot our GoPro. And this was right before we found ShoesFI. And we went out and bought a brand new one. Of and <laughs> I, you know, just $600 down the drain, basically. We got, I think, $150 out of our other one. And we really did not need to upgrade. So that was a, definitely a financial mistake for us. It was a learning experience, though. There you go. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, what an interesting mindset shift you guys have undertaken over just a short period of time to go from that. Oh, we'll just buy another one to where you are today. So congrats. Exactly. All right. Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. I think the advice I'd give to my younger self was to maybe talk to my parents about starting a Roth IRA for me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I think that would have been really cool if my parents had known about that and would have started that for me just because it would have put me so far ahead. But I mean, obviously you can't change the past, but we're doing that for our kids now and it's, it's cool. Well, it'd be cool if your kids end up working with you on $2 eats, you'll have the opportunity to get that thing started at some point. That's the plan. (laughs) I hear you, man. And when it happens, please let me know. (laughs) My answer on this one is compound interest. I don't know how I missed the rule of 72 in school, but it did not click with me. And my grandpa, even growing up when we were working with him on the farm, would always use the Einstein quote about interest, right? Thems who understands interest, earn it, those that don't pay it. It never clicked for me. I remember hearing the stat on Choose FI where you guys talked about if you max out a 401k for 10 years after graduating college and you know, you're putting $18,000, $19,000 a year into it, you'll have over $2 million in your 60s. That blew my mind. And I just thought, what have I been missing all, all these years? But now we kind of talk in terms of opportunity cost because we think a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So let's save our dollars today so we can have more tomorrow. Ooh, I like it. That is a great takeaway. All right. Now we do have a bonus question for you. What purchase have you made over the past 12 months that has added the most value to your life? Honestly, my AirPods. My AirPods have changed the game for me because they opened up podcasts for me and Shoots FI, as well as a wealth of other information that's out there. This has been amazing. All right. So I tell you what, somebody's listening to this. They've gotten incredible value from your story, what you've shared, and they just want to find out more. They want to connect with you, connect with your content. What is the best way for someone to connect with you? Well, follow us on $2 Eats at $2 Eats on Instagram. Super easy to find. And my personal account is Liz MJ Woodfield on Instagram. That's one of the best ways to reach me. We're also in the Facebook group quite a bit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we are. Awesome. We're pretty involved in the Facebook groups. Liz and Braden, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This has been a real treat. Thank you. Thank you. All right, if you got value from today's episode, just go ahead and take one second and press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Just lets the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. If you want to support us and what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. To do that, just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to choosefi.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of FI, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free and just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P is in Paul, C is in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 100. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.